things that were happening in the text, I hinted at the fact that we would get to this point where we would see this opposition really start to come full force. And that is essentially what we have just witnessed. That's what we've just seen in the text that was just read to us out of Nehemiah. And so as we've been talking about what it means to really do the work of the Lord, one of the things that we have to be able to readily accept is that anything that we do for the Lord will bring about opposition. And opposition coming, y'all, is not a matter of if. Opposition for the believer, for the Christian, is a matter of when. It is when opposition will come. And look, I hate it. I hate it. I hate that that's a part of our walk. But what we have to acknowledge and realize is that if God is the creator, if God is original good, the very definition of goodness, the very definition of righteousness, then that means that everything that opposes God by default is evil. Everything that opposes God by default must be wrong. And so that means that for the Christian, it doesn't matter how humble you try to be. It doesn't matter how under the radar you try to be or even how upstanding you try to be. When you are on God's side, the enemy will effectively try to take the good that the Lord is doing in you and through you and use it and turn it and manipulate it for evil. Now, we've seen this a lot of places in the Bible. I think we saw this in the life, the life of Joseph. Joseph had been an upstanding man all throughout his life, and in every turn, he faced opposition. Didn't matter what kind of good he tried to do. Every turn, he faced opposition even to the fact that he's in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar has left him with his wife because he trusts him that much. And even in Joseph's attempt to do right by her, because he rejected her advances, she said that he did something that he didn't do. Joseph is trying to live his life to the glory of God. Maybe Joseph is not the best example. Maybe Jesus is a better example. We see it all throughout the Bible. Jesus is called demonic. Jesus is called a worker of Beelzebub. Jesus is called a drunkard. He is the one who is, more than anybody else, completely innocent of any wrongdoing, yet constantly accused of being wrong. And I think that that should show us something. Whether we go back to Abraham, whether we look at the adversity of Moses or David or Joseph or Nehemiah, even on to Jesus, what we have to realize is that when you are called by God to do the work of God, you will face opposition. And so let me double down. You facing opposition in your life is not a matter of if. It is when. It is when will opposition come. And when it comes, if you know that it's coming, will you be prepared for it? And when it comes, will you be able to identify that that means that you might be on the right track? Last week, we talked about preparing for the work, but you've also got to prepare for the opposition. 
So we're going to look here and see what happens when opposition comes, how to identify it, and then how can we combat it. So our first point in understanding opposition is, one, expect to be mocked. You should expect to be mocked. I remember growing up, I really felt like the Lord was preparing me for my Christian walk in opposition and being mocked. Because y'all are not going to believe this. If you know Jasmine now, you would think that it was the other way around, but it is not. Growing up, Jasmine was a mocker in the worst possible way. And, and I mean, she could take any little flaw, and she, she was like a shark that smelled blood in the water. Anything I said, any inflection, any weird thing that I did, Jasmine would take it, and, and there's, this is the difference with mocking, right? Mocking is not, oh, you made fun of me, you told a joke. She would run that joke into the ground until I felt like a shell of a person because she would just mock me so much. And she could take things that I said that made perfectly good sense and make them sound completely idiotic. And Jasmine had this subtle way of going back and whispering it or saying it well, my mother couldn't hear her, but I could hear her. And so I'm being silently mocked, and then I get upset, and I yell, I scream, whatever the case. And my mom was like, I don't even know why you let her get under your skin like that. But that, that's what it feels like, y'all, when you are mocked. It, it drives you crazy, and it completely distracts you from what you're supposed to do, especially when nobody else really knows that the mocking is happening. And I think this is one of those subtle things, those subtle ways that Satan does try to attempt to distract us. We see in our text that they're literally being mocked, but I also know as a part of being a Christian, I am often mocked by the things that nobody's saying by the voices in my head, by the perspectives that I think people have. And what you have to realize, no, you're not crazy. That is Satan trying to distract you. Putting ideas and thoughts, or were they looking at me the right way? I think they said something about me. I think they were laughing at me. I feel like I'm being mocked. That is a device of the enemy. Sometimes it is spiritual. We feel it internally. But we also see in this case with Nehemiah that it was something that he was having to experience externally as well. And we see this kind of mockery all throughout the Bible. When there is someone who is doing the work of the Lord, the enemy attempts to undermine them by making their work look insignificant, by making their work look foolish. And that is what is at the heart of mockery. It is to take someone who is taking something serious and treat them as if they are a joke. He calls them feeble. They are mocked in a way that makes their work seem like it is insignificant. We even see that it is said that the wall that they were trying to build, that even a little fox, if it went up to the wall, it would knock it down. But you've got to know that this type of mockery is a distraction. 
Satan doesn't just want to undermine what we do, but he also wants us to lose our focus. He wants us to get so frustrated about what is being said and done that we start focusing more on defending ourselves than actually doing the work that God has called us to. And when you feel a sense of a need to defend yourself in the face of the enemy, just know it is to serve as a distraction. It's what it is. I remember in Acts when Paul was preparing to speak and some said right before he got up, what does this babbler wish to say to us? Listen, Paul was one of the most intellectual men, not just in his time, but that had ever lived. And right before he gets up and speaks, they call him a babbler. Because even before he gets up to share the gospel, they want to put a seed in the minds of everybody else that he doesn't know what he's talking about. They're mocking him. But he still, regardless of what they said, he gets up, he speaks, and great numbers of people are saved as a result of it. I see it all the time on social media where there are Christians who are trying to make a valid point, trying to defend something about life or truth, and what people will do is take their words and they'll twist them. You say something like, well, I care about the life of the unborn. And then somebody on the internet will say, oh, that's the only life you care about? No, that's not what I said. And you'll see these Christians engaging, going back and forth, where they get lost in the shuffle because they're trying to defend something that they never even intended. If the enemy can knock us off course by distracting us, then he'll do that, and he'll do that by making us feel compelled to defend ourselves. But what is it in us that makes us feel like we have to defend ourselves even when we know what a person said isn't true? Why do we have to jump to a defense? I think it goes back to something we mentioned last week. I think sometimes we forget who we are actually working for. The work that we are doing is not a product of us or our goodness. The work that we're doing has been called to us by the Lord. We are working on his behalf. And what happens is because you get so involved and so dedicated to it that when you start to get mocked or you start to get lied on or you start to get ridiculed, you think that it is about you. And it's not. What is done, said to you, about you is not about you, it's about him. But if the enemy can attack God's agent in the world that is accomplishing his purpose, then he'll do it. And he'll make you think that the attack that is really against God is about you. You don't believe me? Look in the garden. There is nothing that poses a threat to the serpent with Adam and Eve. There is nothing about them that's threatening. What is threatening is God. And so because he can't attack God, he attacks what God made in order to stop what God was doing. In the same way, 
The enemy will attempt to attack us as an attack against God. It's not about you. But this is also an encouragement. Because Satan doesn't do friendly fire. If I'm doing his work, he ain't attacking me. So I'm not surprised when we look out into the world and we see a lot of people who are not living for God at all. It seems like they're prospering. It's like, yeah, well, what does Satan have to attack them for? The fact that we are being attacked, that we're being mocked, that we're lied on, that we're ridiculed should encourage us that maybe I am where I need to be. Because, once again, I'm not a threat, but the God that resides in me is a threat. And if you, Satan, can see enough of God in me to attack, then that should be my peace. That should be my comfort. Now, I'm not saying that that means that you're not going to be affected by it. I think that would be a lie. You're going to be affected by it, but you've got to remember that it's just not about me. You've got to double down on the fact that I'm being attacked because I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. You've got to be okay with that. Our second point, Nehemiah defaults to God. He defaults to God. Hear, O oh, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt and their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have prov provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. While Nehemiah does respond, he responds based on what he knows to be true about God. And he is not embracing this as his own offense, that he's being targeted, but he is acknowledging that it is really directed at God and not him. So he prays that God would expose their wrongdoing. And I think, y'all, this is a reasonable request. It reminds me of the scripture that says, do not avenge yourselves, but give place for wrath because God who is just will repay, says the Lord. Which means the God who sits high, he looks low, he sees all, he knows all. I don't have to chase a lie. I don't have to chase an attack. I don't have to fight back. The Lord knows all. And in his timing, every wrong will be made right. Now, I don't care how long that wrong might go on. God, in his justice, one day will make every wrong right. So that means that if I'm being attacked, then my default position as I'm being attacked is God will defend. God will prevail. The question then is, do we trust God enough to do that? 
Do we really trust and believe that God will bring about justice? Do we really trust and believe that God will balance out the scales? Do we trust that God is our defender? Do we trust that God sees the oppression? Do we trust that God sees the sin? Do we trust that God will make it right? Do we trust that God even cares? Do we believe in his ways? Because when we don't believe that God will make the wrongs right, then we start to be the arm of justice for ourselves. Do you remember when the word that came to Judah and Jehoshaphat was? It's in Reverend Chronicles this morning. It was in 2 Chronicles 20 and 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. In other words, this ain't your fight. This is not your fight. This is God's fight. He will fight for you. And all you have to do as a believer is hold your position. Stand firm. And so many of us struggle in just that place because we don't realize that what we are enduring is a fight. We think the folks at our job just don't like us. We think people are just acting out because that's what they want to do, but it's actually a fight. And the reason you get so discouraged is because you're not letting God fight for you. But if I know it's a fight, then I can be still. And I can let the Lord fight on my behalf. But it's important that I be still. Too many times when we do know it's a fight, and we know we're supposed to be still, and we know the Lord is supposed to be fighting, we too busy fighting ourselves. We too busy going back and forth. We too busy trying to aim at the enemy. And we are getting in the way of what God is doing. You know, the patriots in, in our heyday, because you know I'm an honorary patriot, uh, in our heyday, we had a, we had a, a phrase, do your job. It's very important. And Bill Belichick, in all of his meetings, he would emphasize if each person on every level of the football field would just do their job, then everybody else could function better as a team. Because you got 11 people on either side of the ball. But one person has a job, and it may not be the job of somebody else, but it's the job that you have to do. If you try to do somebody else's job, then they can't do their job. In the same way, when we try to do the job of God in our lives, we start to get in the way of God just doing what he needs to do. We start trying to get people back. We start trying to avenge for ourselves. We start trying to make wrongs right. And what ends up happening is we end up digging a deeper hole for ourselves because we won't just let God be God. Let God 
arise, and his enemies will be scattered. Part of our walk as a Christian and growing and really surviving in the fight is realizing I'm just not God. I'm just not God. I don't have the ability to fight this fight the way I really intend to. So maybe I should default to him. That means that in my life, I have to be humble enough to give God the fight. I remember in the Bible when the Pharisees came to the disciples because they had been getting corn out of the cornfield on the Sabbath. And they charged them because they were working on the Sabbath. And he said, you know it's unlawful to work on the Sabbath. But Jesus actually, before the disciples speak up, he steps in front. He says, well, before you address them, I've seen you clean. I've seen you kill sacrifices on the Sabbath. They never utter a word. The accuser comes directly at the disciples. But before they can speak up, Jesus steps in front. And he defends them. We've got to remember, even as we learn in the Bible, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, that he will bring attacks, that he will bring mockery. What we have to remember and be encouraged about about Jesus is in that same way that he mediated for them, he is mediating for us. He is interceding on our behalf. He stands in between, and I'm not saying every false accusation. I'm saying that Jesus stands in between even the stuff we did do, and he defends our case against that accuser. And he argues on our behalf. That means I can default to him because I've got the best lawyer in the world. The old folks say, he never lost a case, but he hasn't. And he won't. He is the son of God. But even with Jesus, what I love about Jesus is that his great defense against him, his lies and the things that people said about him was that he was the son of God. When they said that he was a liar, when they said that he was a drunkard, he knew because of his perfection that every accusation was a lie. So what did he do in response to their lies? He just lived. He just lived. Jesus is on the cross being mocked. All you have to do, justify who you are, Jesus. Just come down, prove yourself. Call those angels, do whatever you need to do, and we'll believe that you're really the son of God. And what does he do? He doesn't open his mouth because he knows who he is. Why would he need to prove to them who he is when he knows who he is? Y'all, in the same way, when the enemy comes to deride us, to mock us, to to test us, to try us, you know who you are in God. 
You know that. The worst thing you can do by opening your mouth is to prove what they already believe about you anyway. Shut up. <laughs> What's that saying? It's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Let people think what they're going to think. Let people say what they're going to say. Let people do what they're going to do. Trust God. And our last point, number three, in the midst of opposition, they worked. They worked. It says, so we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Now, obviously, me, Adrian, and some others, we would keep our weapon in our left hand, but they had their weapon with them as they did the work. We must work while it is day because when the night comes, no man can work. No one is working when the night comes. And this reminder from Nehemiah, y'all, is poignant. Not only do you need to work, but you also probably have to work with a weapon in your hand. Y'all may not know this, but very briefly, I worked for Charter. That's how long it was. It was still Charter. All of three months. The training was a month and a half, so that tell you how good I was at the job. But I worked for Charter for three months, um, not long after I graduated college. And believe it or not, you probably don't believe it, but it's true. I was climbing, I was climbing poles. And I was what they call an auditor. Basically, we had to go back behind the work that installers had done and make sure that they had terminated on the power lines and on the tap. And so what that meant is I had to get this big old ladder off of my charter van that I drove and carry it up to the power line. And it was two ways you got to the power line. You could either put the ladder directly on the pole, climb up, and then strap yourself around a pole or you had to put it actually on the strand or the power line. And so, um, I mean, you're talking about being about 50 feet in the air a lot of times. And one of the things that you have to do is you've got this belt that's got all these tools in it. And when you get up there, people don't realize, like, you literally have to hook yourself through your ladder. If you're on the line, you have to hook yourself around the power line hook it back over through the ladder and then clip it back to your other side so that you can freely move. And in that belt, you've got all these tools and different things. But what people don't often also know is if you did that inside of that tool bag, you've got wasp spray, you've got animal repellent, you've even got a voltage meter to check how much power is coming to all these different things. 
And so in order for me to do the work, there were several times where I'm up and you got bees, you got walls. And when you're 50 feet in the air and you're hooked to a power line, you can't just jump down. And so in order to complete the work, while you got bees and other things trying to attack you, sometimes birds, you know what it required? It required me to fight them off while I'm working. So I'm working, they flying, I'm spraying, they coming at me. But the work had to get done. And it put me in the mind of what Nehemiah said they had to do. While they had to do the work, they couldn't forget that there was an enemy. And he said that as they worked, they were prepared to fight. Now, I will tell you like this, as we work, we don't have literal weapons, but what we do have is the full armor of God. Ephesians 6 and 10. Let this be our encouragement as we work, every day that we go out, every day that we go into the world to do what the Lord has called us to do. Don't leave without the armor. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the blessed breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Y'all, there are people walking away from the faith every single day. There are pastors at a remarkable clip who are stepping down and not just stepping down to be a lay member who are stepping down and never stepping foot in a church again. There are less and less people every day who are willing to stick it out because the fight is real. The opposition is real. 
But we have to have the same spirit and the endurance that Nehemiah had. It will be hard. There will be opposition. There will be difficult days. There will be things that you do not understand. There will be hurt. There will be pain. There will be lies. There will be a fight. But we must do the work. We got to do the work. And we must work now because we have a limited amount of daytime left. The night is coming. And I don't want to live my life so afraid of what other people are doing and saying that I end up being a lame duck Christian. Do you know what God's most popular statement was when someone was about to commence on a journey or work for him? It's what I'll leave you with. Do not be afraid. I am with you. And what we get encouraged from in Scripture is he has already overcome the world. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you, um, God, even in the face of opposition, God, that you have already won. The fight is fixed. It's over. God, all we have to do is stand firm in you. God, I don't pretend it doesn't hurt. I don't pretend it doesn't bother. God, I don't pretend not to understand why some people walk away. But God, give us the strength, the holy boldness to put on the armor. And, and, and God, I realize that there are days when putting on that armor, God, it feels weighted. It feels heavy. It is tiresome. But God, in, in those days, I, I pray that just as Moses' arms were held up, God, that in those days when it feels like an impossible burden to bear, that you would hold and bear the armor on our behalf. God, that you would give us the strength to just keep going. The enemy wants us to quit. He wants us to bow out. He wants us to leave. He wants us to give in. He wants us to give up. But God, if you be for us, there is no one, not a devil in hell, who can be against us? In Jesus name.